Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at www.pentera.io. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance, virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. Hello, this is Sean Martin. You're very welcome to a new episode of Redefining Cybersecurity here on ITSP Magazine. And as you know, I try to help individuals and organizations and their teams try to figure out how to bring technology and operations and their teams together in a way that supports the business, not uh, hinders innovation and and, uh, revenue generation and all the things that matter to the business. And there's a lot involved there. There's the security operations, but then there's all the rest of the business that security teams have to interact with. And and today we're going to be looking at uh, the, the whole legal aspect of business and cybersecurity and privacy most specifically. And I'm thrilled to have a, a fellow podcast host on with me today who, I, who also happens to be very versed <laughs> in privacy. IAPP, I think, is one of the organizations you're involved with, is, is one of many. And uh, Dr. K, I'm thrilled to have you on the show today. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much for having me, Sean. So my podcast, let's let's get that out of the way first. So I co-host a serious privacy podcast. You can find us very easily on LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Heart of Privacy. Trust me, I'm probably one of the most public privacy people you'll ever find. I believe in the transparency portion of privacy, definitely. And uh my background, I actually fell into privacy accidentally. Most everybody that's been in privacy for 20 years or so was basically the same way. It's accidental, never on purpose. Thank goodness that is changing now. And I was a registered nurse before I became an attorney and then my PhD in public affairs. So I'm a geek. I am definitely <laughs> geek hard. Nice. Would you? I love that. Would you mind giving us uh, a little... Uh, maybe a brief journey from healthcare to law 
to privacy. And maybe is there is there a common thread there? Uh, obviously, there really obviously, is. health healthcare to privacy. I can make that connection, and obviously, law to privacy. But I'm just wondering that the, the thread for your journey specifically. Ah, uh, thank you. So um, I'm from Mississippi, and I am the first in my family to get a bachelor's degree, much less a law degree or a doctorate. And when I found myself as a single mom of young children, I realized that making a living in a psychology degree wasn't going to cut it. So I decided to go to nursing school. Let me know if you can hear that. I have a feeling you can we, hear that. We love dogs. Yeah. Dogs are welcome on the show. Okay. So I realized I couldn't make a living in psychology supporting two young kids. So I went and got a nursing degree because both my grandmothers are nurses. My mother's a nurse. So I was a nurse when HIPAA went live, which was a very, very interesting time. And I realized that all these issues that I was seeing, uh, whether it was cancer research or ICU or whatever, there were legal issues in there. Uh, and not surprising, when I went to law school, I did specialty courses in both healthcare and IP. And when I started working in corporate America, I never went to a law firm. I knew that wasn't for me. Uh, when I started in corporate America, I started at Concentra, a national urgent care company, as their privacy and security officer and their head of regulatory affairs and regulatory compliance. And from there, it just it just cascaded. I went to Align Technology, which is a global medical device company. It's Invisalign. Absolutely adore them. I helped actually put in the first dual application for processors and controllers for BCRs in Europe. And they didn't even really exist before we submitted ours. So that was wonderful. It's always great to be on the cutting edge of privacy. And uh, when people say, well, going from nursing to law doesn't make sense. Yes, it does, especially privacy law. It's a helping profession. So if you think about it, privacy attorneys, privacy officers, you don't have to be a lawyer to be a privacy officer. They're there to protect the average person on the streets and they protect the company by doing that. So it really is a helping profession. I've touched on this particular point a number of times over the years, uh, the role of a privacy officer and, and you, 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 presented both sides that I've heard uh, that that the role is there to protect the consumer slash patient, but all, but also there to protect the company. Yes. And how does, is that true? <laughs> you said it, so I presume it's true, but how, what does that mean? Because it, is there a balance there? Can it, can that be balanced? I guess is really the question. It is. And funny enough, that usually comes up when other professionals are asking me, how do they transition into privacy, whether they're someone new and they're choosing privacy as a career or they're an experienced attorney and they want to make the pivot or security professionals who now find themselves having to deal with privacy. And how do they move this direction? How do they transition or understand the privacy role? So it takes a lot of creativity. That's the first thing I always list, creativity. It takes knowledge. It takes the willingness to learn, but it also takes a level of being busy, business savvy. So the more that you can understand that what you're doing has to integrate into the business, the more you will be successful. And I usually approach the business questions as the answer is yes, you can probably do it. You might just have to give me time to 
to get through all the laws and check all the caveats and see what we need to put in place so you can do it. And that's usually what it is. And probably the best thing you put in place is notice and transparency, telling people what you do. You tell them what you do, you do what you do, and you told them you did it. So let me ask you this thing, because clearly I'm coming from a security perspective. Um, so, Some of my favorite people. <laughs> and and my, my sense is that a lot of the security professionals get burdened with the, the controls to help keep privacy in check. Yes. Um, so those controls are defined by policy, perhaps defined by regulation or some industry standard or, or even just internal, this is how we want to do business because we, we care or this is how right. we're going to protect our revenue if we do it this way. So I'm wondering how that relationship between security kind of owning the controls and how the, the CPO, the chief privacy officer, gets brought into that process um, if they're not the lawyer part of it as well. How does how does legal get involved in creating that nice little circle or chain of, of command, if you will? Well, the best thing is the privacy by design mantra. People hear it, they might laugh at it, but it's really true. What it means and the way that I've explained this to people, now I'm going to try to describe it out loud, but if you brought a project to your privacy officer and you said, hey, look at this nice two million thing that we built. And Kay, we know you care. So we put up the 10 foot fencing and the razor wire across the top and floodlights that come on by motion sensors because we know you want to protect the data. And I'm like, well, that's true. But if I look at the architectural plans, you built the data on someone else's property. So now you're going to have to tear down your two million thing or you're going to have to go get permits, which is going to cost you most because they know you built it there and you got lawsuits and everything. So what's important is that you bring it to me and you're like, hey, Kay, we're thinking of maybe looking at this thing that we want to build. And I go look at your architectural plans and I identify that it's on someone else's property. Give me a couple of weeks. I'll get some permits for it. And treat me like the city inspectors. I want to see the foundation when it's laid. I want to see the electrical wiring. I want to see the plumbing because things tend to grow in the doing. And I want to see it at every stage. And so when it's built, you'll know that the privacy requirements were there just like any other business requirements. We signed off on them just like any other business requirement. And when you're done, yeah, I do want the 10 foot fence and the razor wire and the motion sensor uh, lights too, but that's security. And yes, I have a big interest in having the right security controls in place, but treating me as, or treating your privacy person as part of the process is critical to doing it right because I've worked with a lot of startup companies that don't understand what they're supposed to do with data. So throw the word privacy out the window. All my privacy people just cover your ears. Throw the word privacy out the window and think of it as how do you manage data? That's it. And if you think about how do you manage data, I am going to be one of your biggest partners in that because I have an interest in making sure that we handle data right. That way, we don't get in trouble. That way, if someone wants to come in and buy us as a company, they don't look at our data practices and go, half the data you have was gained illegally. So we're going to cut your valuation in half because we can't use half of what you do. I've seen it happen. You don't want that to happen. Or 
Think about the Marriott case where they bought another hotel chain and the big breach, not the recent one, but the bigger breach a few years ago came from the company they acquired. You want someone in privacy to go in and look at those processes before you buy the acquisition because you want to make sure it's all in place. You don't want illegal data to get in trouble and make the headlines, right? Uh, I certainly don't. <laughs> I can't imagine it. There, there probably are some weirdos out there that want that. but uh, There are some, <laughs> yeah. But so this is something we, we talk a lot about uh, from the perspective of the security role within the organization that, that you got to shift that that interaction left. You want to bring security yep. in sooner. Uh, they need to speak the language of the business so that you're kind of talking the same thing up front and, and can follow it through to the end. Right. Um, I don't know that the needle's moving much there. And yeah. it is, is, I don't know if you have visibility into that. Do, do you, do you feel the same thing? And do you find that perhaps privacy has moved that needle or didn't didn't have to in the beginning because it was already set there for some reason? What, what are your thoughts? I actually think security has a bigger foothold in business operations than privacy does. Um, the security portion came out a few decades ago when you started seeing the, the financial scandals and you needed to put security controls in place from the federal sentencing guidelines and the SEC requirements and all this. And all of a sudden you started seeing CISOs uh, chief information security officers, which I don't have to explain that to this audience, but to my regular, yes. So you started seeing them and you started seeing um, security officers, information security officers. Sometimes the technology officers actually roll security under them. I think they have a bigger foothold in the operations than privacy does because privacy is kind of really late to the game. Shouldn't have been. And Unfortunately, I actually think we may have stumbled on our way to the table. Um, Privacy did? Yeah, I, I think we did. I mean, you started coming out with these security laws, the GDPR. I mean, European GDPR, the UK GDPR is pretty much the same thing. Came out, it uh, was, what, adopted in 2016, went live in 2018. That ramp up time was huge and very operational. We're like, yes, we have our seat at the table. We're going to be there. They're going to listen. And um, they started rolling privacy underneath the security officers. And we're like, it's, it's two different things. It's a conflict of interest to have them reporting to the same person, frankly, uh, because they're two different but things. They overlap. That. Describe that. Where, where, where's, where does that, that overlap get, us, get companies into trouble? Right. Because when you're advocating for putting a control in place to abide by a law, a regulation, a guidance from a court, whatever, the law requires you to do it. You need to look at the privacy handling and your rules around that. Um, do individuals have access to it? Do they have redress? Have we limited the amount of data do we have? Do we only collect the data we need? Are we telling people what we're doing? That is a different set of controls that you need someone who's setting the budget to say, yes, you have budget for that. Go forth and conquer. On the security side, y'all are putting in the technical controls. Y'all are making sure that there's multi-factor authentication and there's VPNs and the wireless is set up right. It's the technical controls. I can speak to those people. I can't do it. 
that I hate. I wish I could do it. I can't. And there's a different budget setting for that. But companies are accustomed to having budget to put in physical things. They're technical controls, but they're physical. They're tangible. You can touch them. You can look at them. You can prove that they're in place. We're a little bit more fudgy over here. I can prove to you that something is place in, is in place in the privacy notice because I can point you to the language and say, boop, there you go, privacy notice, it's right there. Can I prove that the security controls have implemented that? And so it's a conflict sometimes. Yeah. And you want someone to be able to make an objective decision as to whether budget goes here or budget goes there. Um, hopefully there's budget for everyone all around, but the focus is on different things. So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, maybe not necessarily the budget part of it, but the, the function part of it, because the other thing uh, when I'm speaking to security practitioners and leaders is that they, they've, they tend to feel they're on their heel all the time, kind of, kind of fighting, fighting the good fight um, right. because something was developed a certain way and the workflows that make it function were designed to operate a certain way and the data sets that it's floating around in those workflows was collected because somebody thought they needed all that data at some point and or they will in 20 years right and then and then outcome all these controls which generates this huge budget to right. actually to block it all and i often say well if you can just not use that system or not collect that data or route the workflow a different way, you reduce the exposure purely from a, what systems are exposed, but then also right. the data itself. And I'm wondering, did, does the privacy team have visibility into that and some input into <laughs> that, or are they in the same boat? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're in the same boat. And I will tell you that that's why I always try to make sure that the security officer, I'm tied to that person by my hip. I mean, they need to be together. And if you have internal audit, that needs to be the triad. And if those two, or if you have audit, so I'm just going to pretend to, if those two are not connected at the hip, your program will not be successful. And I have been really close to some of my secure, my compatriots in security, uh, at one company I worked with, he and I are still together. He invited me to his wedding. I mean, it's been it's been 15 or more years ago. Um, that's the kind of relationship you need between your privacy and security. They need to understand each other. They need to know how to work together. And they need to know if they're in a meeting and they hear something that needs security, privacy needs to stand up and go, you don't have everybody in the room. We need security in the room uh, and vice versa. Security needs to do it. And I get it. We're always chasing. But I'll tell you a great example that came up is cookies. Cookies are a big, big, big item right now. And Google Analytics, and we won't get into all that. They're Trust delicious, me, by the way. I like cookies. Right? It's, it's, but they're even now saying that if you use language that says, um, I don't want to uh, accept your cookies, it's like, oh, you don't want to share with us? Well, sharing is a good thing. So now they're calling it dark patterns. But back to cookies, I cannot, I can identify a cookie on the website because I can run a scan. I can't tell you what's behind that cookie and what data that cookie is collecting. That's when I need my security person to pull up the technical specs on that. Um, they might not identify that there's a cookie on the website because that's not really their big concern. Mm 
And so it's up to me to find that the cookies are there. Maybe we don't need to have them. And it's up to security to go find them and understand what that means. And then together we can advocate to make it happen. Another place where that reporting to a different structure comes in handy. Sometimes you really do want to hear it from two lines in the company rather than one. So the more voices you have, the better you are. And before I add a third line, uh, <laughs> uh, th th this idea that that uh, security can check to see if there's a cookie and privacy can can say whether or not that cookie should be there or not. I don't. I guess what what I'm trying to get to is th there's a lot driven by regulation. Yes. Um. But pretty then, much all of it. Let's be honest. I, I, yeah, I think of most of the budget comes from from we have to we have to adhere to this regulation. Where where does where do ethics and morals come in? Not it as is, many places as you would like to have <laughs> them. Trust me. And I'll quickly address the law thing because we we hear about the cybersecurity lawyer and you hear about the privacy lawyer. I have to admit, they they essentially do the same thing. Because what they're looking for are the laws that require you to have the controls in place and to understand where there's exceptions, um, when they take effect, how can you overlap the controls to maximize and leverage the controls you have in place. There are very, very few security laws, very few, like less than one handful, um, which would be no handful. Hmm. Half a handful. There we part, go. Part of a hand. Yes. Yeah, part the, of the yeah, hand. It's, part it's of the, the middle, hand. It's one finger. You choose. Exactly. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with the thumbs up. All but right, it's, it's privacy laws and data protection laws that are the ones that are in place that require the security to come along with it. In many cases, they call it the security for privacy. But let's just break it down to its basis. It's the security. It's most of the data protection and privacy laws driving the security protections that need to be in place. That's where your privacy officer um, or your privacy counsel can be the same person. That's where they're really, really helpful, um, especially if one, they know how to talk the language to the technicians and security people. Two, if they know how to put it in layman's terms for everybody else that's in the company. And three, if they're creative and innovative about it, if their approach is there are legal things we can do with this data, your innovation should not be stifled as long as you understand what you can do with the data. And that's, that's where it's key. I had an example where all the security and the technicians people were going upset because we can't delete from backups when there's an individual request to delete their data. We can't delete it from backups. Okay. How do we do this? They'd been stressing about this for months. And I was like, um, that's not a problem. Actually, the law really recognizes that deleting from backups can be technologically infeasible. And there's some controls you can put in place. So they had been agonizing for months and months. Who knows? It could have been uh, agonizing for years, and it's something that we already knew that was taken care of. So it's opening those channels of communication. And so I don't, I don't think I heard you say what the, what the outcome was there, but assuming they actually built yeah. <laughs> the process yeah. and the controls, that would have been a huge waste of money. Um, so you started to dig in there, um, the, the third line of the, the, the actual lawyer itself. You, you mentioned the cyber lawyer and the privacy lawyer. Um, I didn't even know that there were d two different lawyers, perhaps in a company, and maybe more. They're <laughs> well, probably not. A lot of, 
Okay. If you have a cybersecurity lawyer, they're probably covering privacy. And if you have a privacy lawyer, they're covering cybersecurity. Okay. All right. So, so, so many points here. Cause I, I hear sometimes that uh, security professionals like to uh, lean on their lawyer friends to help uh, bolster the or, argument. Also, yeah. They, they have a way of presenting a case. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> to who to who they think needs to hear it, and you mentioned the word translating uh, the the message to the right. business. So I'm wondering if there are any lessons from from the, the the lawyer line of having the ear of the executive staff and and the people who manage the budget and and can say here's what we need to do, go forth and do it. Um, any advice? Uh, that's where understanding learned. and being uh, business savvy really comes in mind because the company is focused on their long-term goals, usually not further out than three to five years, uh, strategic goals. And they're focused on what do I need to do here and now to get there and the step-by-step -step approach. And the more that your privacy and security people understand how the business works, the more they'll be able to tailor not only their argument, but what they want to put in place in alignment with the business. So for example, if your business was strictly in the US and you wanted to expand to Europe, that's where your lawyer comes in to explain to you what you need to do to expand to Europe. And that might be a key strategic goal for the company for the next three years. We're going to, you know, explode in Europe at, you know, 25% of our market. Okay, well, let's look, take it down, look at the practical measures. And this is how privacy and security can help you do that. We can help you achieve those goals because you're not going to be able to collect European data without the privacy and security controls in place. And if you do, it's illegal and you can get in a lot of trouble. So that's where you can leverage your business knowledge of how they work to say, hey, by the way, I'm not a roadblock here. I'm going to make it easier for you to actually do business in Europe. And you just got to understand that that's how the execs think. They want money. Yep. Nobody's in business unless they want money. <laughs> Maybe the nonprofits, but you're in business because you money. want to make a profit. Nonprofits need the money to, to do what they do. Yeah. Um, so you made, you made a point in uh, some of the stuff that, that you prepared before we joined. And I think you touched on very briefly just this idea that it's not just about current law, right? There, there's a lot of moving and shaking going on all over the place, state level, yeah. uh, federal level, industry level. Oh, um, so should we talk about California now? <laughs> we, we can go there because, uh, and I don't know, is there a national, we can, we can even ask that bigger question, is there ever going to be a national privacy law? But I guess my point is, you said three to five years, they might look out. Um, decisions being made today uh, an investment in cloud infrastructure as part of a digital transformation. How and where you do that. Right. If you're not paying attention to the laws, you might choose a cloud that doesn't afford right. sovereignty and, and something else that you might need to survive three to five years. Right. From now. So talk to us a little bit about the, 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 the monitoring of activities that could potentially become law and, and or other things where, I don't know, do lawyers look at trends in social media and ESG movements and things that oh, yeah. aren't law, but will define how a company will succeed, perhaps? 
Yeah, privacy is kind of informally considered the fourth leg of the ESG because it's it's how companies um, treat the consumers, how they present themselves, what they're taking activity in to keep their corporation sustainable. So a lot of good arguments on that one there. So yes, we're absolutely involved in where are the trends going and talking to people, not only in the US, if you're a US, but you've got to understand what's going on globally because like the GDPR had a huge impact on the US. So you've got to see where that's going. California was not a surprise to have the first state omnibus privacy law. They have been moving that direction for a long time. Um, they've got other laws in place that no other state has. So that wasn't a surprise that they moved it. We've been surprised that not more states have passed it. So only four additional states have passed omnibus laws. Omnibus means it applies to everybody. It's just a general privacy law. That's contrasted with the U.S. federal laws, which you only get privacy rights if you're a customer of a specific industry like healthcare for HIPAA, education for FERPA, financial with GLBA, the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act. So you have to be a customer of a particular sector in order to have privacy rights. And privacy rights just took a huge, huge um, log to the head uh, with the recent Dobbs decision overturning the Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't understand that that is at its essence a privacy protection. So we just took a huge log to the head there. We're still kind of reeling. But Contrast that to California and these four other states, Connecticut, Connecticut, Colorado, Virginia, and Utah, who also put in privacy omnibus acts. We're pretty surprised that more states haven't put them in. That's kind of what we were expecting. So we see that coming. However, this proposal for the American Data Protection and Privacy Act, ADPAPA, whatever they're going to call it, actually has some movement. It has some, some drive behind it. Part of that driver being Europe because the Europeans are not happy with the United States and our data protection or lack thereof protections here. In order for businesses to continue doing business with the EU or the UK, we have to step up our game. And so that part might be what's delaying states from putting it in place because although it says that it will honor California state law. Oh, it pretty much decimates California's privacy law. So there's a lot of preemption arguments going up here. So these are the kind of things that we can look to the future and say, okay, now we know what the arguments are going to be. How's it going to happen? What are we going to look at? And so being able to anticipate that one thing I'll tell you right now, that's really big protecting children's data. And not just children under 13 for COPPA, but actually rolling out protections for teenagers as well. California goes up to, uh, I think it's 13 to 15 that they have extra controls in place with. So they're talking both federally and globally about enhancing protections for online activities of children, whether that goes up to 16 or 18, who knows. So that's one of the hot topics that you can look at is data on children. One of the other things is going to be big are cookies. Google keeps saying cookies are going to go away. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, what I foresee, with, yeah. <laughs> right? Replaced with what? One thing already failed. They pushed their recent effort out to at least 2024. So that's one of the things to watch as well as the ad tech industry and global privacy control signals. That's going to be a big area that's coming. Interesting. And as you're 
mentioning some of these and, and clearly I'm aware of some and others are new to me as you're describing them. I just, I see there's a layer upon layer upon layer. And at, at some point, I don't know how you look at it. Maybe you can describe it. Is it this, this constantly layered mesh that nothing can happen or is it, are they just stacked side by side and, and, the, the least depending on yeah. what you're trying to do you, you can take it this far because that's the shortest one or you can only go this far because that's the highest bar how, how do organizations look at that well the um, organizations are starting to learn more and more about operating by frameworks and the security field is familiar with ISO 27K, with the NIST frameworks there's actually privacy frameworks coming along with them there is now the uh, ISO 27701, which you can also get certified to. And essentially, it says everywhere that you say information systems management, add in there privacy information management. So add the PIMs into the ISMAs, and there you go. So uh, trying to go for some of these is really good. In the SOC 2 uh, world, which most people have heard of, there are five aspects in a SOC 2 that you can look at. Security is the main one. There's also availability, integrity, and whatever that last one is that I can't think of. Those three are also there. That's not common for everyone. But the other one is privacy. So most of what you're going to see in a SOC 2 report should be security and privacy. And you would be surprised at the number of people that have no clue that privacy can be included in a SOC 2 report. Hopefully, I'm not just throwing that out for your listeners that they understand this is like an audit report that you come in and you look at the controls that a company has in place. Those are frameworks that you can go by. The SOC 2 is based off uh, essentially COBIT. So you can go by that. There are other frameworks. There's a cloud security alliance framework. So if you look at privacy laws as being a privacy framework and map them into whatever security framework you're using, you'll find that there's a lot of overlap in what you need to do. There are basic principles in privacy law that as long as you can meet the requirements of those principles, you can pretty much tweak it if a new law comes out that tells you what to do. Like everybody freaked out when can spam came out. Who really worries about can spam now? We all know what we need to do, right? And we just keep on working with it. Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. <laughs> well, th I mean, this, this is fascinating. I, I can, Thank uh, you. I can talk for hours. Um, we're I could literally up. build a podcast out of it. You could build a podcast. <laughs> out of it. I, I think I'm going to have to listen to some of the episodes and, and uh, hone my, hone my privacy skills and knowledge a bit. Um, and hopefully our listeners do as well. Uh, clearly there's a connection. <laughs> yeah. Right. It really <laughs> and, is. Uh, yeah. So let's, um, let me see if, if there's something in particular uh, that I wanted to close with, because I don't know. Do we do we open the third party vendor can of worms? To, oh, to let's, close let's with? go ahead. Let's let's close on that one, because <laughs> that one is something that you really do have to work with multiple people in the company. It's not just privacy and security. This is where it really touches every department in the company. And they all need to understand what what the rules are. Yeah, BAAs and all that is in the healthcare space. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm I've dealt with BAAs for a long time, and people laugh at me when I tell them you should put in a BAA only what is required to put in a business associate agreement. 
don't add extra things into it because let's let's just go with hospitals. Hospitals can be very, very detailed as the controls they want you to put in place. Okay, well, what if hospital two is very, very detailed in other controls they want in place and hospital three is even... How do you, and then they expect you to pass the exact same things down to your contractors. How on earth can a company accommodate all these very, very, very detailed requirements among everyone and then push it to their subcontractors, which might be Amazon, might be Microsoft, might be Google. They're not typically willing to negotiate on those things. And so put everything else that's not absolutely required, put it in the master services agreement, the limitations of liability, the exceptions, all these extra things and negotiate them over there. Leave the business associate agreement to exactly what needs to be in there. That way it's simple and it's understandable for everyone on both sides. You have to protect data to a certain level. There you go. You protect data to a certain level. But otherwise, I mean, sharing data with third parties whether they access your systems, whether you there's an API, whether or not you have a feed going to them. One, you need to check exactly what data is being accessed mm -hmm. by them because even if you don't give it to them, even if all they're doing is logging into your system, that's access. Um, and make sure they can only go where you want them to go. So every department in the company needs to understand when they trigger a third-party review. And what you'll usually hear is we're not giving them any data. I hear this from sales. I love this <laughs> from salespeople, but we don't deal in personal data. I'm like, well, who do you talk to when you want to make a sale then? Who's signing the contract that you get paid from? It's a person. If it's a person, it's personal data. It just might not need to be protected at the same level that other personal data does, but you need to know you're sharing it. And with whom and why and what they're doing with it. And so the, the beauty of, of this show when 95% um, of the time, it's just me. Sometimes my co-founder Marco joins me <laughs> uh, when, when, uh, when he feels like it. And when he's here, I don't get to ask that one more question. He's not, <laughs> he's not here. I have the freedom to ask one more question. And, uh, and My co-host is on vacation for three weeks right now. <laughs> it's go. like Kay is wild and free. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, exactly. So the, the one more question is kind of similar to third party, but it, the, the concept of shared responsibility. I'd love your thoughts on that because we've talked cloud and third party vendors. Who, who's responsible when you're using stuff in the cloud, even if it's not a, a cloud right. service provider, but some, exactly. some other app. Or, yeah, how, how, how does privacy, security and legal get all come that? together on that? Yeah. It's not a very pretty conversation. But it's a conversation we can all say we've had and we can we can deal with the results, mainly because the companies pushing out the shared responsibility models don't really negotiate with the the average company. So you have to look at it and say, OK, this is what they do. So no matter what kind of questionnaire we get or what kind of process we're looking at, we know that this company does this. Then you need to make sure that the other part, this is the shared part, the other part you actually have in place and you don't take it for granted. Oh, I'm using ABC hosting company. They're taking care of everything. No, it's a shared responsibility model. And if you're handling sensitive data, which is not a concept that the U.S. has had up until now, 
Um, the best you could do is if it was governed by federal law, it must be sensitive. But otherwise, if you're handling sensitive data and they're rolling children data into the definition of sensitive data, maybe that shared responsibility isn't tight enough. Maybe you actually need to add additional steps to it, such as if you're encrypting it at rest, maybe you have your own key and the hosting center does not. Um, and that way, if they get a request from law enforcement or they have a breach, your data is safe because that company didn't have the encryption key. You had it. You're encrypting it from them. So it is shared responsibility, but you can't just say, oh, I bought that and I'm done with it. They take care of security. Mm, no, not quite the way it works. Uh, not like that. Not like that. Well, I, I'm very appreciative of all the insights that you've brought today, Dr. K. Thank um, you. I'm, I'm really glad we had a chance to connect. I, I can see, well, obviously you're, you're having many conversations. I can see many more with us if you're interested. <laughs> Would um, love to. I know, I know there's one floating around on uh, AI and ML and privacy. Oh, so maybe, love maybe, that. So maybe you join us for that, but uh, definitely want to stay in touch. And uh, anytime you have something you want to share, you're welcome here. And uh, I encourage everybody to listen to your show uh, and take it deeper than we could in this uh, brief 40 minutes that we've had today. But uh, those listening, there will be links to Dr. K's uh, profile and uh, some of the things that she mentioned today. I think we'll, we'll dig up the 27K ISO uh, standards exactly. to link to those and uh, a few of the other things. And anything else uh, Dr. K thinks would be helpful in the uh, Security's journey with privacy and legal, hopefully by their side. <laughs> so thanks Thank everybody. You. Thanks, Dr. K. Thank you. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance, virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at www.pentera.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.